you didn't get the email or you don't know what's going on, we're going to have a panel of uh, fathers who are going to come and uh, answer questions, answer hopefully your questions. Now, you can't ask them why they look the way they do. That's not part of it. Um, and you guys that are, that are sitting here, you can, uh, you can certainly take this off. Matter of fact, let's don't even use that. Let's just get this out of the way. Another thing that, that we'll do is I have a box uh, back there on the sound b- uh, booth. And uh, if you, hopefully you do, but if you have questions that you would like for the, the panel to answer, and this is for women, men, children, everybody, then uh, I'll get someone to hand you an index card and an ink pen. You can keep the ink pen. Uh, we'd like the index card brought up here. Uh, and, uh, and this, by the way, this is not a time to uh, wives. <laughs> this is not a time to ask that loaded question that you've always wanted your husband to hear. But anyway, um, so if you have a, if you would like to write a question down and have it sent up here, raise your hand. Don't everybody do it at once. I have questions, so we have. I have plenty of questions. There's one up here. If somebody could volunteer to get that box right there on the right in front of Carrie, uh, okay, we got two questions back there. Yeah, Aiden, you're a good one to do that. That's true. If you, if yeah, just there's there's probably enough there to go through everybody, and we got plenty of ink pens. By the way, while we're doing that, Happy Father's Day. Um, we, you know, we never make, we try to do really nice things for the mothers and us guys. We just, you know, just give us a banana or something, but, uh, there's no implication there by the way. But, uh, and those of you at home, uh, happy father's day to you. And, uh, we always like to recognize any let any anybody that wants an index card pass it out uh uh they pass them through the hey granger boys you can't do anything with them somebody's gonna ask your daddy something about you um what we have to for for the for the men and for the young men this is not just those who are fathers uh on your way out there's two boxes of this really nice little gadget. It's a four-way screwdriver. It's one of those you'd keep in your kitchen drawer for those times you need to tighten something. Uh, and that's a gift from, from Abundant Life Church to you. If there are any of you ladies that live by yourself and you need one for your, you go ahead and grab one. And I'm sure you have a father somewhere. Uh, but they're on your way out. We started, started to pass them out, but I don't want you to have to fool with them. But on your way out, there's two boxes sitting on a table. If you got if you got someone at home, grab them one. But it's just a little a little practical. I don't want to get into it too much, but I don't. A lot of the stuff that are provided for churches for Father's Day, it is so frou frou. <laughs> Can I just say it's so sissy? A lot of it. I wanted to get something manly. Yeah, yeah. So we have two boxes of those out front. <laughs> Excuse me for being. 
whatever I am, over, <laughs> overloaded with testosterone. That's not easy to say. Um, and for those of you at home, uh, if you have questions, we got a real easy thing for you to do. I don't put this on Facebook or don't put it on all those other grams and boxes and social media things because I'm not on any of them. Pop that up there, William. If you'll text your questions, and some of you in this room is going to wind up doing it. I can see it coming. If you'll text your questions to that number, then I'll get it right here, and I'll ask the panel your questions. Um, now, um, I, I originally selected three fathers for the panel. Uh, let me hasten to add uh, none of these fathers were selected because I thought they were the perfect fathers. None of them were selected because I thought they were the best fathers in the church. The truth is, we could have a table up here and have 30 in this today, we could have 30 or 40 fathers, probably. I don't know, I hadn't counted. Maybe not that many. But we just selected, first of all, the first three because one has small children, one has teens and young adults, and one has grown children. And so that would be Adam Granger. Y'all come on up. Darren Dixon and Phil Eeks. And Phil, when you come up here, you can tell about the men's thing. Uh, and then when I, I didn't intend to do this, but when I looked at these three guys, it dawned on me, not one of them has a daughter. <laughs> not one of them. And there's, uh, is it 10 children among y'all, between y'all? You got, yeah, 10 children, and none of them are girls. And so I asked Sean Pody to join these four. Sean's got three girls. And Grant. I wish to goodness I could tell the story of Grant when he was six years old at the dinner table. No, I can't do it. Yeah, we all know. I know. We should let Grant tell it sometime. Well, no. Where did Kelly get to, off to? All right. You see Kelly when we're done, and she'll tell you about what Grant did to his sisters when he was six years old. I cannot tell it, especially with the world watching. Um, but like I said, these gentlemen uh, are here. Because I just, they were the ones that came to my mind. And then, like I say, once I realized we had three fathers with no daughters, that would, I wanted to add Sean to the equation. I, got, I have a couple of comments. I just wanted them to sit there and, and feel nervous while I'm doing this. And so, uh, uh, just a couple of scriptures and then some facts. Uh, but for, by the way, you can still ask questions. There's still, you know, uh, index cards running around. I have some questions, but. Obviously, yours would take uh, precedence. I just wanted to read a couple of things. Uh, when the children of Israel were going into the promised land, the Lord said to Joshua, Take for yourself twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. And they made a memorial there of those twelve stones. Um, let's see. I'm fast forwarding. Uh, 
Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, Listen, fathers, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you will let your children know. Paul teaches us in Ephesians that the instruction, he says, Fathers, bring up your children in the instruction of the Lord. And I love the part where he says, when they say, what are these stones for? Every one of us have stones, proverbially speaking, in our homes. And all of our children will ask why. And let's tell them, what what does that mean? What, what, What does that testify to in our world? And then real briefly, David, he says, uh, Give ear, O people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. And we will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. Fathers, it's it's incumbent upon you to take the lead. And, and this is not a day to beat up fathers, by the way. I know a lot of churches, this is the day. All right, let's, let's make the mamas feel good and the daddies feel bad. <laughs> We're not after that today. Uh, but, uh, but fathers, you have the primary responsibility of passing it on. And uh, it, thank God for the grace that he has for single moms, because there are a lot of them out and around. And thank God for the success stories that have come from uh, single single mother homes, and there's many, many, many. One of my very good friends, and many of you know, Brother Dwayne Higginson, who pastors Grace Temple in uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, who grew up in a single with a single mom, and God honored her and honored him. And today he's a fine. He's been here twice and preached in this church. Fine, upstanding man who has a great family of his own. So it can happen. How many of you would agree the ideal is that we would have fathers and mothers in the home? I don't know what I would have done growing up. I guess I figured something out. Um, I don't know what I would have done if I couldn't have known that when I got home every day, my mother was going to be there, and at some point, my daddy was going to be there. Um, The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services... uh, put out these statistics. The United States is the world's leader in fatherless families. Tonight, and I can't remember when this was done. I wish I should have looked it up. Tonight, some 24 million, approximately 34% of our children will go home, go to bed in a home where their father does not reside. Nearly 40% of children in father-absent homes have not seen their father at all during the past year. More than half of all children who do not live with their father have never been in their father's home. Did you hear that? More than half. Uh, From 1960 to 1996, the number of children who lived in homes without a father or stepfather rose from 7 million to nearly 20 million. However, since the mid-1990s, the number of children in fatherless homes has leveled off. Good news. In 1960, only 4% of single mothers had never been married. In 2000, this number was up to 41%.
Then you move over to the Department of Justice who gives us these these thoughts. Suicide. 63% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. Now, again, these are general numbers. That doesn't mean if you know somebody in a home doesn't have a father, they're going to commit suicide. It doesn't mean that. It just means the numbers say the 63. 90% of all homeless and runaway youths come from a fatherless home. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders. Now, this is, this is not the church. This is not a seminary. This is the Department of Justice gives us these statistics. Not a Christian organization. Uh, 71% of all high school dropouts, fatherless home. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, fatherless home. 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers, fatherless homes. 75% of rapists motivated by displaced anger, fatherless homes. Good news. The percentage of children under the age of 18 who were raised by only a mother was steady from 1995 to 1990, this number dropped 8% between 1995 and 2000. Somewhere along the way, somebody's gaining some ground. And the way we do that is to, uh, is to uh, help strengthen and encourage fathers the best we can. Uh, my wife gets so mad when they put a TV show on or a commercial on, and uh, it's always... Uh, Making daddy look like a a buffoon. He always looks like a, an idiot. And when we watch a police a, a, ra- a chase on a police show, she'll say, "All right, I know who's there's a man and a woman." She said, oh, "You know the woman's gonna catch him. Well, they're not gonna let that man look look like something." And sure enough, it does. Uh, my wife's a male chauvinist, by the way. <laughs> so. I'll just start with a few questions. I've gotten one text message. We'll get to that one. And, uh, uh, but I had one before as well. Uh, the question was asked, how do I handle the desire to teach my children to refrain from things? You dropped one, Don. To refrain from things that I myself did in my past. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with trying to get your children to to do something or not do something that you have done in the past and you you know it was wrong and yet you... Okay, uh, y'all fighting over the microphone? Uh, Call it. Go ahead, Phil. Don't tell them you ever did. (laughs) All right. Next. <laughs> the oldest one with the oldest children. And the wisest one. I've told myself up here enough, I can do it. Uh, I, I let them know the consequences of what I did. Um, you know, I know some of y'all going to fall out of your chairs in shock, but I tend to have an anger problem sometimes. Got it from his mother. Uh, yeah. And I broke my finger one time just being mad and punched something. And, you know, I tell my boys, hey, you want broken fingers, act a fool. Let your, you know, anger get the best of you. Or you can learn from my mistake. Look at what I've done. Look what's come uh, of what I've done and learn from it so that you don't have to go through the same literal pain that I did. So, I, you know, I just be honest and tell them what I did and what happened and why you don't want to do the same thing. Yep, that's good. 
transparency is a big thing in, in our family for for me anyway if if i've messed up or something i just kind of get everybody together and say okay this is what i did wrong this is why it's wrong this is what i should have done and uh and this is what we're gonna aim for in the future and um and it really doesn't matter if it's now or 20, 40, 50 years ago that I did something. If it comes up, and in our family, it's a, the transparency. It's a, it's a learning, it's a learning thing because, uh, you know, as leader of the family, I'm there to help equip everyone in the family to succeed, and uh, and I take that very seriously. And I'm not, I do the best I can, and. Uh, also, share tell everybody that uh, grace is a big deal. <laughs> let the, let my family know that my heart was in the right place. Whether I messed it up more than I got right, let them know that when they're working on themselves and fixing up the stuff that I messed up, that uh, there's grace involved, and uh, it's a lifetime. I could go on forever. Uh, before keep the microphone. Before we go any further, this is what I should have done to start with. There's people here that don't have a clue who you guys are. So tell them your name, and if you want to tell your kids' names or not, that's fine with you. But their ages, and start with you, Darren. Okay, my name is Darren Dixon. Uh, I have a beautiful wife, uh, Brenda Dixon, and uh, Noah, and uh, Evan, and Jaden are my sons, and uh, the oh. ages. Oh. Yeah. Ages. That's good. They're guys. They don't care. <laughs> Fifteen is the youngest. Uh, Nineteen. <laughs> what'd you say? 23, we're selling a, uh, is it 23 today or next week? Okay, you're messing with me. Okay. All right. Transparency. <laughs> Hand it to Phil. Hand your mic. Okay, Phil. Yeah, I've uh, got a lovely wife, Clancy, and she's she's my wife. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's the best person to be your wife. Exactly. Is your wife. Well, I was going to give her age, but I thought better of it. No, no, not her age, the, your children's age. Well, I've got three kids. I'll get, I'll get in trouble. I've got three kids between 35 and 45. Okay. <laughs> I think it bothered her more than it would the kids. And, uh, but I've got three girls, too, and that's their wives. There you go. That's right. We are fathers to them, too. Yep. Adam. Oh, and I got four grandkids, and one on the way in a month, less than. I'm Adam Granger, my wife Erin Granger. Uh, I've got four boys, Aiden, Wyatt, Champ, and Jackson. Their ages are 10, 9, 7, and 1. I have to close my eyes and really concentrate on that. So, I'm, I'm, if you didn't know this, I'm the one with the little kids, so. And I'm Sean Pody, and my wife Kelly back there in the back. And I've got um, four girls, and we finally had a boy. And hallelujah is right. Uh, Kelly said, I don't care if it's a puppy. We're quitting after four. <clears throat> so, Did uh, you have another girl we don't know about? Did I say four? You did. Um, <clears throat> It just seems like it. Kelly, you want something you want to tell us? <laughs> Three. Uh, uh, I'm also. Uh, uh, I, I miss words a lot, uh, as you could tell by my worship leading sometimes. Um, um, uh, my oldest is 25, and uh, 23. 
and 20 almost, fixing to be, because he's 19. And and, uh, and the truth is, we don't really know how old our kids are. We just guess, and if we're wrong, our wives correct us. And uh, thank you for that. We'd lean heavily on them for the de- small details in life like that. But, uh, but about the first question, too, I know we don't probably need to all answer every question, or maybe we should, but, you know, um, you know, the Word of God is the standard for everything, and it's a good opportunity to teach your kids. You know, we're all came out of darkness and into light when we met Christ. And, um, you know, being honest about that and being, you know, it's like the same standard always is applied from when I was young to when you're young. And we try to teach our kids that that's the standard. And, you know, the culture will try to change that standard, but it's always got to be based on what we know is the truth. And that's the one word of God. So, you know, being transparent about how we uh, uh, messed up sometimes maybe helps them to see that uh, you know, like, like the consequences, you know, of that that's a good idea. But uh, so that's me, and that's who I am. And uh, I don't know. Thank you. Next, uh, and one more component that I didn't even think about is that uh, Adam and Aaron's youngest is, is a son that they've adopted. They got him when he was three months old, and we don't know what our world would be like without Jackson. Uh, so if you have a question along those lines of adoption, then, uh, I mean, any of them could answer, but Adam could answer first person to that question uh, as to what, what how to work through that. Uh, let's see, I got, I got a text message. Um, and by the way, those of you at home, I'll put that number back up, William. If you want to ask a question, then just text your uh, text message to that. Does mean, just being... The man of the house affects your ability to have a soft heart towards your children. So you, yeah, you got to be, you got to be the heavy. And uh, but anyway, as many of y'all want to answer this, I mean, you you made the statement you can all answer it if you want to. But anyway, somebody, bail me out here. Um, Does it affect your ability to say that again? Oh boy, Uh, does being the man of your house? affect your ability to have a soft heart towards your children? Uh, no, it does not. Because uh, being the man of the house does not mean that you're uh, angry and mean all the time. It just means that you demonstrate uh, God's love. And God is all those things. You know, he is mighty and fierce, but he's also gentle and loving and under his wings. You know, that's uh, the picture of uh, us coming under the wings of a mother hen. That's uh, God the Father's image um, of us coming under him so yeah no it doesn't mess that up at all it's just um being consistent and always uh, allowing uh you know there are times when you have to be the one to uh, i know i've heard larry say many times you know uh, you be the heavy and let your wife uh, not have to be all the discipline and um and you definitely do that but that doesn't mean that you don't also have a tender heart and uh you know you you discipline them because you love them but they know from all the tender times that you have together with them, that you do love them, so they uh, it doesn't come off as something that they're afraid of or scared or whatever. That's good. Anybody else? That's good. I agree with him. <laughs> what he said. I agree. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. That's good. <laughs> when you were a teenager, who did you go to for advice? Looking back, was it good advice? <laughs> Anybody? Okay. Well, we'll answer it, we'll answer it uh, this way. You know, there were things I went to my mom to. 
that I would not tell my dad. <laughs> and there were things I went to my father to that I wouldn't tell my mom. So I would say it's a, it's a family affair. I'll say this. There were men in my life who, who gave me things that my parents couldn't give me. And I don't mean that as a knock to them, you know, because I got great parents. And I'm not just saying that because they're in the room. Um, but I also recognize as a teenager, there were guys in my life that I needed certain things from. And I know as a father, looking already, my kids have benefited from other people in this church, and they'll continue to benefit from other people from this church. Um, so, you know, yet the advice I got that I can think of, maybe I forgot the bad advice, and that's good. Um, but the advice I got was good advice, and it was usually from the men that was in the church at the time we were there as a teenager, and, and I, I'm better off for it. You know, the, to the point of uh, uh, so many kids that don't have a father... Um, I got advice from my mom and dad, of course, but then I also got advice from some of my friends' dads or from other people that I grew up and knew. And they say some of it was good and some of it was bad. But um, uh, it's a great opportunity for us as fathers uh, to uh, step into uh, roles and be available for maybe kids that don't have uh, someone they can lean to because they are leaning and learning on someone. And do we want that to be someone that will give them bad advice or? Do we want to step up to the plate and be active in other kids' lives um, and fill into that role of surrogate father, which is, uh, I welcome that, and uh, I know everyone here probably would. So, you know, just be attentive to that because um, that's one of the ways we can kind of help to uh, encourage and minister. Um, you know, we, you talk about fathers encouraging fathers, but uh, encouraging kids and stepping into a role to speak the positive thing that our father would speak into people's lives. Uh, whenever that opportunity might arise, for sure. So, mm. Well, we actually had a question that said fatherlessness is something that affects many kids in our country and the world. It seems to be a contributing factor for crime and poverty and et cetera. We read those statistics earlier. And so how can Christians help fatherless kids in real-world examples? So maybe one of the others might have a, something to say about that. Sean's basically answered that question, but if you have something to add... I'll take that as a no. Yeah, Sean's answer. Yeah, that was a good answer. Uh, okay. Sean, this one will be for you. What's the most valuable thing you've done or can do for your daughters on a practical level? If I had a daughter, it would involve a big stick, I can tell you that, <laughs> by the door. <laughs> well, anyway, but I don't, so... Uh, uh, one time the, uh, the girls were all out of the house and some of the neighborhood boys were around and uh, uh, I think I made them work in the yard or something uh, we were doing something and uh, they were like oh they, you know the, the guys are tired and they're, they're, they think you don't like them or something and I'm like well okay <laughs> um, but, uh, I'm like that's okay um, not that I would be mean to them but you know it's like um, they need to basically, uh, when the guys come around, have a little fear, you know, I mean, in a good, healthy way, because, you know, I was a guy once. We can be terrible. <laughs> um, but uh, on that note, um, the times we spent together uh, doing things together as kids, I mean, I still have these little um, um, potholders that were uh, 
they basically were made from uh, a piece of plywood and a skill saw that we cut out together when the kids were little bitty and we painted them and just, you know, things like that that we just kept. But, you know, it's just spending time doing the things that you might do normally that they can, you know, like, remember. And, uh, you know, when you're in, uh, it's like, you know, Jesus discipled his disciples as they went and as they did things in life. Not like they had class all the time, but, you know, in the things you do together with them, make sure you take the time to do things not only that uh, interest you, but interest them, and that's okay, too. And uh, that way you're just the relationship is built to pour into their life, and they can come to you when they need something or um, for advice, or they listen to you when you try to have advice Sometimes they don't want to hear it, but you know, if if the relationship is a lot better, then they're uh, they may act like they don't want to listen to it, but it soaks in a lot better when you have a good relationship, and that comes from just the little things, right? And what's the hardest thing about being a dad? Now, you we could probably take the rest of the time with that, but anyway, what's the hardest thing? What's the most difficult or challenging thing about being a dad? Doing the right thing when it's hard, saying no, and um, and also like you know going back to being transparent is uh, you know say look I'm messed up here, and if you keep doing this and I allow you to go through this path, you're going to mess up here, and it's kind of humbling yourself in front of your family so that your family can learn. And be you know lifted up, and those are difficult things to um, be what your kid needs instead of what your kid wants. From a uh, an older father's uh, situation, I got to tell you that the day that last kid walks out of the house, fatherhood changes. And one of the toughest things to do, you realize pretty quickly, is to let go. That you don't have that same influence anymore. And uh, maybe your life's going to be more in praying for them and being there for them. But uh, where you had a lot of control, you lost all that control. It's gone. But you're still a dad. And your fatherhood does not change. You're still a father. And sometimes you just have to let them go and make mistakes because they'll learn from those mistakes. It's okay to make a mistake because before you wanted to be perfect in every way. (laughs) Well, we're not there yet. So I would say as as an older father, um, it doesn't change. I'm telling you, you love them to the day you die and you stay with them, but you do it from afar. And uh, if they want me, they know where I'm at. They'll find me. And... The only time I try to get involved is when I see them doing something really stupid. And I had to say, son, here's the situation. So I just say, you have life points. And this, when they're young, when they're old, when they're middle-aged, they're all different. So fatherhood is a unique job. And it's one that is uh, it's an honor to have. My mother used to say to me, you think you worry about your children when they're young, but it's when they're grown that you worry about them. Um, And then is it more challenging to be a good husband or a good father? (laughs) 
You notice none of them reached for the mic on that one. If we could get four ladies to step out of the room, we might get that to answered honestly. My wife's making a face important at me. So out of obedience, I'm grabbing the mic. It is much more challenging to be a father than a... <laughs> the challenge is the same. I think the challenge is real. Um, because, you know, you talk about the toughest thing. The toughest thing for me is to move on from my failures. You know, I can... I can focus on the things I've done wrong. Or I can move on to the things I've done right. And I'm blessed that I have a wife that forgets the things I've done wrong and, and reminds me of the things I do right. And that makes it easier. And so uh, I, don't, I think the challenge is unique. But it's, it, I tell everybody, it's, parenthood's the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it's worth it every day. We had a question that said, are good dads immune to COVID-19? <laughs> well, if that's true, then... Um, well, anyway, we'll leave that alone. <laughs> that way, we have a we have a text message question that has come through. Someone watching at home: How do earthly fathers affect our perspectives of who God is as our heavenly Father? How do earthly fathers affect our perspectives of who God is as our earthly, or as our heavenly Father? Well, good the more you're like God and bad the more you're not. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've dealt with people in the past who didn't want anything to do with God the Father because their father was so bad to them in life. So we have an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable, I don't know the right word for it, uh, cause and effect with anybody that we deal with, especially our own children. And fathers can can make it very difficult for others to accept God Father. So, yeah, it's important. Yeah, I think even uh, quote-unquote secular child psychologists have told us that the image that children have of God is almost completely based on the image they have of their earthly father. And so that, that ought to scare some of us to death. It does me. But uh, but it's true. And so he puts an incumbent upon us a deeper and more sobering responsibility regarding that. Um, well, this goes along similar to that. What is the most rewarding thing about being a father? What we had, what was the most challenging? Now, what is the most rewarding thing to you about being a father? I don't answer every question, but uh, the rewarding thing I haven't seen totally yet. But I think the thing that we strive for is see if our our children, uh, sons and daughter in laws and grandchildren walk in the fullness of what God has for them. There's nothing greater we can have. Um, for, for me, it's uh, seeing my kids win and not just kind of float around in life, um, but seeing my kids make good, godly goals and good, godly plans to reach those goals and to work really, really hard on a plan to get there. And that being known that things could change, 
but at least they're being deliberate with how they're uh, facing forward in their life. And if I can help encourage those forethoughts with the end game in mind and where they want to be and this and where they spend their time now points them to there, then I, I feel like I've done a, a whole lot better job as a dad and as a um, as a mentor, as someone. But when I see my kids uh, make good decisions and uh, live deliberately. It's rewarding. Uh, it's rewarding to see them, uh, you know, do well and do a good job on things and hear people say, your kids are such good workers or whatever. That, that's rewarding. And it's, it's rewarding to see them accomplish things and go to college and get jobs and do well. But the most rewarding thing is to see them um, like Phil said, um, answer the call of God on their life and to be in the place where God's called them to be. Because ultimately, all the other things in this earth are temporary, but the things of the kingdom of God are the things that are the most important. So that's the most rewarding to me when I see that. And I know that um, a lot of that's not necessarily because of me. You know, it's like, sure, I do the best I can to teach him and pray, but God's got to do that. And um, I guess some of that is because of me, because of Kelly and I have been praying for them for their entire life, and there's power in that. And your responsibility as a father to continue to pray for your kids, and the ultimate success in that comes from um, God opening their eyes and pulling in their hearts to to uh, answer the call in their life. And so uh, that's the most rewarding for me, anyway. So. Piggybacking on your answer, how much time do you spend in prayer for the needs of your family and others? Pray without ceasing. <laughs> Good answer. Um, any pointers on keeping siblings from fighting? <laughs> Somebody got that answer, let me know. Get them some boxing gloves. You know, I, my kids fight, uh, you know, like boys do. Um, I try, and I, I say this out of uh, effort, not necessarily goal. I mean, maybe we should ask these guys down here who's got older kids, but I try to have them see each other as I see them and as the Lord sees them. I'm getting there, but I try to get them to have a better perspective and try to understand. And I tell them, man, you're going to have friends that come and go, but these guys are always going to be there. You know, I'm closer with my brothers now than I've ever been, I think, uh, growing up. And so I tell them, hey, they're going to be there. And don't run them off because, you know, that, that's something that's hard to overcome. So I, I try to push that in them, and that's the best I got. Somebody got a better answer that works. Go for it. I'll just confirm this. My first two kids fought like crazy all the time. And then uh, once in their high school years, one was a senior and one was a, uh, a freshman and on the tennis team. And the, uh, the youngest one kind of got into a situation uh, with another kid. And my older son was on the older, uh, another court. And uh, uh, the big boy came down and took care of things. And you're thinking, you know, they fight all the time. It's okay to fight. When time, as he said, when the time comes, they're there for each other. The, the blood's thicker than water. I got a little comment on that. Um, we in our family, we kind of joke about us being weird and not the same. And you know, Christ, you know, Christians, we are 
peculiar to the world. And I guess we kind of embrace that a little bit more than uh, we, we should. But one of the things that's really different with the fam- with with my three boys is um, than when I was growing up. I, I would fight with my brother. I mean, it, we would physically fight. And uh, he was bigger than me, so I didn't like that very much. <laughs> Until I got as big as him, and then the fighting stopped for some reason. I'd <laughs> My grandmother would say uh, when we were real small, I can't wait till he grows up big enough to <laughs> do what you're doing to him. It, well, then, then I did grow up, and it just stopped. I didn't have to do anything. Um, but with my kids, it's like the three of them, they're like best friends. And they may kind of poke at each other every once in a while, but, man, they didn't go to blows or anything like, like ours. And they can spend time with each other, extended periods of time with each other, and everything works out you know we when we came to um, Tennessee um, we lived we rented a place and then um, I had a job that was lined out for me but it didn't work out it was vaporware and then uh, next thing you know it we're living in a camper that's uh, 256 square feet without any running water and uh, all the kids toys are in a semi-trailer and then we had when we when we moved to this uh, situation, they were really uh, young. How old? How old was Jaden? Three, two, and um, and so we lived in this camper that didn't have any running water and it, and it didn't have a kitchen, um, and um, we stayed in it for eighteen months. And uh, the kids, all their toys were put up in a, a semi trailer, and most of them are still there, and. Um, and they they learned how to get along with each other because when you when five people are living are homeschooled and they're living in a little bitty beat up uh, camper trailer that only has two hundred fifty six square feet in it, um, you learn how to deal with things and work things out really quick. And when one person's upset, everybody knows. <laughs> and um, that was a really peculiar, impressing um, situation that we're in. Uh, before we got to move into our other camper, and um, but we we learned and uh, anyway, our kids didn't really fight that much. They learned how to get together, and that was a really b- big blessing for me with that that situation. That I guess they had enough pain and suffering they didn't need to <laughs> inflict it on each other. <laughs> <laughs> or it might turn into a WWF ring. Yeah. Well, it's one or the other, right? I'm not sure what you're wanting to help, but um, you definitely learn a lot. He reminded me of something. You know, I'm, for those who don't know, I'm one of, or I'm the second of four boys, I should say. And our youngest is the biggest, big hoss from uh, been in the military. And so I tell my kids, you don't know which one of you four is going to be the biggest. So you guys be nice to each other because whoever ends up the biggest is going to be the winner at the end of the day. Um, but one thing we do try to do with our kids is I recognize, I try to recognize when I need to step in and then I also try to recognize times where I tell them, hey, you guys figure it out because I want them to learn how to overcome whatever it is they're dealing with. And I try to tell them, find a solution that's best for all of you. And you may not like parts of it, but you're going to like enough to, to go with it. And so I try to recognize when that's okay. And now that doesn't mean I'm hands off. I may still listen. They don't know how many times I go around the corner and just you know, listen to how it's going. But I want them to learn how to resolve conflict. I think too many people today, which is why we're dealing with a lot of what we're dealing with, haven't learned how to have a 
discourse that's disagreeable and then come to a, a conclusion that's amicable for everybody. And so I'm trying to find times where it's good for them to have that moment where they have to figure it out without me refereeing. And then, of course, sometimes you just got to jump in. So finding that balance is a trick. Well, speaking of not agreeing on things, uh, we're going to have numerous opinions about this question. So I'll just throw it out there. I would tell you who wrote it, but I don't know. <laughs> and I don't want to know. Is spanking the best correction method, or are there better, safer ways to correct children without the risk of, and I'm not sure what that CPS, and it would look like maybe corporal. Child Protective Services. Oh, Child Protective Services. Did you write it? No. Okay. <laughs> Child but okay. I ain't afraid to answer. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I've said this, and I've had discussions with people a lot. Every kid's different. Every child's different, and every kid needs a different uh, discipline method. Um, before that, and you mentioned Dwayne Higginson, and I've, I've tried to live by this. I heard Dwayne Higginson say this years ago, and he says, if you spend 10 times the amount of fun time, or he calls it wrestle time with his boys or kids, you know, wrestling the ground, whatever it is, the, the 10 times the fun time that you do for each time that you have to discipline them, the discipline will be way more effective because they recognize that you're not just the, you know, the jerk dad who just shows up to discipline and leave, but you're invested in them, you're playing with them, you're giving them your time, you're loving on them. And so from that, I feel like the discipline's more effective and I don't need to. Now, I have spanked my boys, but it's the last resort. It's the last thing I'll do. And usually it's for the most grievous offenses, which is typically lying, outright disobedience, defiance. But I've also noticed where some... It never really worked. They'd rather just get the spanking and move on with life, and I don't want that. And so I found other things that have worked with them. Whereas some, and I won't mention, but they're sitting beside their Nemo. <laughs> he's a tough cookie, and so he just he needs a different type of discipline, right? And so I've just tried to learn which kid, which what works best with each kid, and then because I want the, I want pain. I don't want physical pain necessarily. I want pain enough to make them decide that they what they did they don't want to do again. They don't want to go that route. I want that, you know, that bad taste in their mouth, if you will. And so whatever it takes for each one, and all four of them need something different. And that, you know, you talk about a challenge earlier. That's my biggest challenge is trying to figure out each one, what's going to work with each one, and go there. And that comes back to what we said earlier, that, you know, pray without ceasing. Man, I'm praying for the Lord to give me direction with each one because each moment may need a different solution than the moment prior. And that's the most challenging thing. What we would do is... Uh it, it's pain and suffering. It's a great motivator. It gets you up. It gets you off the couch. It makes things happen. And uh, whenever there's a situation that we're dealing with with our, with our kids, I say, okay, there's pain and suffering involved in this. So either I'm going to inflict it on you, or you're going to do it on yourself. And sometimes the pain and suffering you do on yourself is just uh, self control. And uh, saying no before you do something you're not supposed to. That's where the kid can uh, step up and do the pain and suffering. If they pass that torch onto me so that uh, they didn't do the pain and suffering and say no when they should have uh, said yes or did something wrong, then it's going to be a lot more dramatic. And uh, you're right, it is different with each kid. you got to have the art of finding ways to inflict pain and suffering on your kids. <laughs> In love, of course. I agree with uh, these guys and um, one of the things I'd like to point out though is that um, 
you know, a lot of times uh, make sure we would we would make sure that uh, our discipline was consistent in that you didn't want to just only spank your kids after they annoyed you. Yeah. Um, I think what was the phrase? Uh, obedience the first time. Um, not I'm going to count to three and you're going to do this. Well, no, three is not good. We need to, uh, you know, if, if from a young age that they learn that they have to obey because that's what mom and dad said, then um, it goes a lot smoother when they get older. And, you know, the, one of the things is, you know, you can't be afraid to spank. Um, but there are a lot of things you like to say. I like what you say. You got to learn what's important to each one and what causes the effects. Some kids, uh, it doesn't matter. They'll just go through a spanking and it doesn't really hurt them at all because they're like, I'm going to eat this. I won't say which ones or anything at mine will. But um, <clears throat> but um, learning what's important and using that to discipline, but doing it because of love and because I, I, you know, uh, in modeling um, who God is, you know, we want to teach them that you know we're supposed to obey God when God says something, and not you know learn that uh, you know you talked about being a model of, of uh, getting the perspective of who God is from their their parents. You know, if, if a kid learns that you know if they keep doing wrong stuff, and finally after they annoy their dad long enough, they get a spanking. Then, then you know, how does that show them what God's love is? It's like we need to be consistent, and the reason that we're um, disciplining our kids is because of our love for them, so that they will be able to be successful and not have the pain from the things they did. And they'll still make mistakes and have to learn things, but um, um, it's a lot easier to do it when they're little than when they get bigger, bigger, and growner and have bigger mistakes and. All that kind of thing. Is grown or a word? Yes, thank you. He I made it. Just today. I, and I do want to say the times that I have spanked my children, I've always made sure to hug on them, love on them, explain to them exactly what it is. This is what you did. This is why we had, I did this, and this is where we're going. And I tell them, I hate it. Don't make me do it. You know, I make sure they know it's a choice they've made to get to this point. And so I, I you know, I do that every time because I want them to know it's not. Um, it's not that I hate them or mad at them. It's what Sean just said. And another point on this, and this is the longest answer we've gotten. Um, I never do it out of anger. If I'm, there's been times where I've been so mad. I've told Aaron, "Hey, you've got to deal with this because if I do it, it's wrong." All right. And she's done the same. We've always made sure we've had each other and never done. And I and I've never even really disciplined them necessarily out of anger because I've made that mistake of saying, "All right, you're grounded for a month," and then I go, "All right, I got to." roll that back but i gotta be consistent right so i've always tried to make sure whatever discipline it is whether it's spanking or anything else i try and i tell them i gotta calm down let me cool down then we'll figure out what's going to happen next because i want to be rational i want to be have my mind clear and i want to be able to have the lord direct me in whatever it is you know that they need regardless of the discipline method i also want to make sure that i point out that the question said is spanking not beating I know there's a big difference between beating a child and spanking a child. And connection with that answer, what do you say about yelling? Yelling at your children. I hate yelling. I really do because I don't like who I am when I do it. Um, I grab my kids. I pull them up close, eye to eye. Um, I speak to them in a stern voice. That being said, there's a moment where it, you got to get their attention, shake them and rat them a little bit. I know that sounds terrible, but you know, there's my boys are boys, and I'll raise them to be boys. I don't let them, uh, I don't make them think for one moment it's bad to be a boy. Um, I, I'll be okay with some holes in my walls, okay? 
Um, I ain't finishing that quote though, but <laughs> I'm okay with that, you know. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna let them be boys. Um, and so sometimes I got to get their attention, and sometimes they're going crazy. So I got to raise my voice, and it's just enough. It, the point is not yelling. And I found that if I do it very infrequently, that when I do it, it gets their attention, and then we can have a talk. Um, you know, it says there's righteous anger. You know, you know, don't sin, but be angry. So I, there's times where I'll let my boys know they've got, you know, they've got my attention, and I'm getting theirs. Um, but I don't try to live life like that. Well, I wonder how, okay. I was going to say, how is it that the Granger boy is the only one going to answer that? I just, just real quickly on that. The, uh, what does the Bible say? He that spares a rod hates his child. There's times that when you, one good tap on the rear end, which I think God made the rear end for, <laughs> not watching football games. Anyway, one good smack on the rear end, Goes a, is a whole lot better than sitting there yelling and screaming at somebody or trying to punish them in a way that's totally different because it's done, it's taken care of. They know why, and they react to it accordingly. So this is not the politically correct answer, but I would tell you that every child's different. And for my kids, the first one, he was young when he started spanking. By the time he was six, we didn't have to spank. The second one, we could have spanked him to the to the moon fell out of the sky. And it wouldn't have done any good. <laughs> in fact, he came in once and uh, had his whole uh, pants stuffed with toilet paper before he did it. <laughs> and the last one, honestly, we didn't have to spank. So every kid is different. But I'm going to tell you, there are times when spanking's good, and it is biblical. So during a pandemic. We're short on toilet paper, so something would like that. Uh, as the world becomes more depraved, by the way, this is great handwriting. As the world becomes more depraved and the influence of media, social media, TV shows, movies, becomes so prevalent in each household, how do you as a father protect your children from the influence of the world while at the same time not sheltering and isolating them from the world? I got an easy answer. Click. Yeah. Well, when the kids were young, um, you know, the kids like to watch TV all the time. But every summer, for at least one month out of the summer, we would have a no TV at all month. Um, and uh, you probably could have done it some more throughout the year. But just a time to just, like do other things, do other creativity things. And, and, and you're right. You know, uh, you be in control of what your kids are ingesting and uh that's not also um that doesn't only go for the negative things that goes for the positive things and that you spend time um making sure they know where the source of the word of god is and that's where they they find to uh, uh that's where their opinions need to be formed and that's where you know when they come into ant- uh, questions um of what they need to be doing with their friends and their circle uh, if they know that that's where you're going to answer, they begin to know how you're going to answer before you answer, and they know where that came from. So then they begin to search for that, and they begin to self-feed on how to answer the questions of well, how should I address this, and uh, that comes from eliminating the negative and uh, adding to the positive also. So, and it's different now because social media is 24/7, 365, and it's bleh, you know, yeah. don't get me started. Okay. 
How about this one? This may not apply to everyone, but at some point it probably did. After being away on business or just working long hours, what is your favorite or best way to reconnect with your family? Well, I travel quite a bit for my job. Um, when I'm gone, it, you know, technology is really a challenge raising kids in technology. Um, and I won't. Go, that was the last question. I won't hit there, but. It has its benefits, and one of them is I try to make sure that I FaceTime my family, especially when Jack was real little. Uh, FaceTime, let him see me, talk to him just for a minute. Uh, Aiden got to the habit of every night he'd call me, and I loved it. They're like, call me, let's talk every night, and I was, you know, only two, three minutes. Um, so we tried to take advantage of that opportunity, and, and I, this week is one example. I put a ton of hours this week, but what I try to do when I do that is I'll take time off of work. You know, I'll say, you know, I'll let them know, hey, Friday, I'm gone at 12. And I have the ability, my job gives me the flexibility because of the way I, my job is. But I'll do that. And I'll, with the point of going to be with my kids, going to hang out with them for that day. Um, because to me, that's more important than anything. Uh, somebody asked me about Saturday morning, you know, men's study. And I love the men's study. But the one of the reasons I don't go is that's the time where my family, we all get together. We stay together. We make breakfast. We hang out. That's our time together. And so I try to make sure that I get those times in. Now, I'll let my boys know because they'll come in. I'll be working at night at night. And they're like, why are you still working? I said, you know, you know, my job is not the kind where I, I close at 5 and I'm done. You know, it, it, it changes. But I also make sure they know that that's not my life. That's what I do to provide. But my life is being with them and spending time with them. And so I, I hope my kids recognize that my goal is to spend time with them. I work so that I can do that. Okay. We will, uh, we will wrap this up with one last question, and I'd, I'd uh, uh, invite all four of you to answer. Uh, and you're going to have to, especially the one who goes first, is going to have to think about this just for a minute. The question is, define fatherhood in three words. Give you a second. Just give you a second. Define fatherhood in three words. Well, I'll give you all some more time to think. Um, that's that's a difficult one, but and and I'm not sure if this is the best order. But these are some of the ones that kind of settled first: uh, is strength, grace, and consistency. And I've got a whole bunch of other words, but since it's only three, that's that's the ones those I'll start with. Are, those are three good ones. Prepare, train, equip. Oh, and love. Love. I was, I was just literally going to say love. He he heard me thinking it. The love, authoritative. Uh, and that's the only two I got. Because I think you need to show them love, but you, you know, somebody said it, we're the brick wall. You know, at the end of the day, my wife, she's dealing with them, I'll come in and I'll end it. And so I feel like that's sometimes the Lord says, all right, we're done. And so, yeah. Uh, heaviness, joy, and prayer. And I don't mean heaviness like, 
bit like a weight on you, but it is a heaviness in that it is very, very important, and it's a weight of the responsibility that you have. So that's what I mean by heaviness. But joy, it's also a joy. Um, nothing can bring you joy like seeing your kids thrive, and uh, and some of that, a lot of that comes through the, the steady prayer of just being in tune with God and calling out their names before Him. When I walked in the neighborhood, I would I'll spend the, most of the time praying for my kids as I went, and uh, I, that never stops. Right, Phil? You got that right. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So I would add one. I'd say, Phil, you had it when you said prepare, train, and equip, and I would add the word to, since I'm moderating, I can violate the question. Uh, I would add the word release. Well, that's good. Uh, because Phil and I both have grown children, and uh, the sometimes <clears throat> the preparation and the training and the equipping are easier than the releasing. Because it's like Phil said, sometimes you watch and you think, well, I, I wouldn't go down that road. But you have to let you have to let them go down that road and fall. And I think that's one thing we have to guard against as, as fathers and mothers is thinking that our our siblings falling down is always a bad thing. Amen. Proverbs says a righteous man falls down seven times and gets back up. The issue there is not how many times he falls down. The issue is how many times did he get back up. Amen. And sometimes we have to be able, especially as our children get older, have to, you know, failure is not final. Sometimes failure is the best teacher we have. And so I think prepare, uh, train, equip, and release would be four good words. And there comes the fruit. Jack, Jack, what are you doing, boy? Um, I'm going to let you have the last word, Phil. Uh, and so these guys... Uh, you might have figured this out already, but they they have they will not cease being fathers today. So, especially Adam, he's involved right now. A uh, little little adventure there. I can tell you, the Granger household wouldn't know what to do without that one. Um, so you can you can. Talk to these these guys. You can talk to there's a bunch more in this room and some who aren't able to, to be here today and are watching at home that you can you can call on, especially you young men that are beginning to move into an age or relationships that you might be a father before you know it or maybe in a year or two or three or 20. Um, it, you know, this is just a good principle. Call on people that you respect. Can I say something about that? This thing, I don't know if it's on. Yeah. When Aaron and I, before we had kids, we were married several years before we had kids. That was one of the things we did all the time. We saw kids. We like, man, those are good kids. And I would have no problem going and asking their parents, what do you do? How do you do this? How do you do that? And we still do this, right? There's people, you know, I'm the least experienced at this table. And I go to these people all the time and ask them, hey, you know, this situation, what do you do? You know, my kids did this. And I don't hesitate. And I feel like we've made a lot of good decisions as parents, not because we're smart, but because we leaned on people that's been there, done that. So don't hesitate. Don't be prideful. Um, I'm, you know, I, like I said, I had great parents, but there's still, I love other perspectives because I want to make sure that I can get all the wisdom that I can get. So sorry to interrupt, but I just want to throw that out there that I, we went after people hard and we had no 
hesitation to ask. What he said. Amen. Aren't you glad these guys were able to be vulnerable today and transparent with us? <laughs> Phil has one last announcement, and we will, then we will be dismissed. Actually, I got two. Well, you, well yeah. Two Number one is, uh, before we leave that subject, I am blessed with three, really six of the greatest kids in the world. And I wouldn't give anything from them, for them. So I might laugh and cut up about them. Wouldn't and give anything for them. No, wouldn't give them away. That's oh, for sure. okay. Yeah. Uh, give any, what is the right word? Anyway. We know uh, what you meant. You know what I meant. So uh, I am thankful.